0: Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity to come to camp meeting and to fellowship together, to learn, to study, to pray. We pray that you will be with us in this place today. We handle sacred things when we handle the word of God. When we talk of things of righteousness, we know not of what we speak but we can only search the word of God and seek to understand it from what is revealed to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be present in this place, that you will speak and that you will be heard, and not this humble vessel that stands in front of these dear people today. For we are only human beings who need to learn from Jesus Christ. Pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you you a quick quick story. When I was pastoring um, in a church uh, back in the early 80s, sharing the message, a little bit of what we're sharing here. And in that uh, time there, one of the young men came to me after the sermon that I uh, spoke, and I was talking about some of what we'll talk about today and what we'll talk about even the rest of the week. And he was just overwhelmed. And he just had this sense that there was like no hope for him, which is ironic because that's not what the message is about. And I actually had that happen even here last year. So, during this week, I hope that it will be very, very, very clear. This is a message of hope. And the message of hope is in Jesus Christ. Christ is the answer to the problem and the situation. What we're going to be talking about today, and I'll start by setting that tone, we will never be talking about what I can do or what you can do. We'll be talking about what Jesus can do, what Jesus is about. Please keep that in mind, because without Jesus, what I'm going to tell you today and during this week is totally and completely impossible. Are you with me? But with Jesus, all things are possible. Sounds like a Bible verse to me. So I want you to keep that in mind with what I want to share with you today. Here's a statement from Christian Experience and Teachings of Ellen G. White on page 207. This is what she said. It's in your notes. At this time, the church is to put on her beautiful garments, Christ our righteousness. There are clear, decided distinctions to be restored and exemplified to the world in holding aloft the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The beauty of holiness is to appear in its native luster in contrast with the deformity and darkness of the disloyal, those who have revolted from the law of God. It's, that's, a, that's an amazing statement. The church is to put on her beautiful garments, Christ. Our righteousness. I don't think the church really grasps this, I say the grasp. I don't the church. I, I, I don't think we as people understand this yet like we should. I'll tell you simply, I don't, but slowly, I'm learning and seeking to understand it better. You and I, need to realize that Christ has something amazing that he wants to give us. We're going to talk about that today. I hope it will be clear. So where are we going in this class? Now, I know the text is small on the screen, and I understand that, but I do have it in the notes there. I hope you can read it in the notes. Even that's there, but at least you can bring out a magnifying glass and look on your, on your notes, right? can't do that up here quite as easily. By the way, some of you have come in. There's a sign up sheet. There are some folders coming around, and we've got some extra notes being printed. I thought I had plenty, but for some reason I seem to be short. Sure. Here's where we're going with our class. In this class, we will survey the Bible and the spirit of prophecy teaching on the theology of Christ, our righteousness. What is righteousness? What or who is the source? of righteousness and what should be our relationship to that righteousness. Ellen White said the Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people. We quoted that last time. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience. This week's study is meaningless without this basic foundation. But, With that foundation, we also need to be able to put this all into perspective. Our teaching on Christ, our righteousness, and justification by faith has fluctuated over the last 130 years. We need to review this fluctuation to be sure we have a clear biblical understanding of this message. In order to review the fluctuation, we will review the early Adventist history until about 1900. Though we did this in detail at last camp meeting's session, we need to do a quick review in order to see the progression beyond 1900. Our theology on Christ, our righteousness, changed little from 1900 to 1950. But that fact is significant And a survey of our teaching during that time will clarify this doctrine, making our next study even clearer. Beginning about 1950 and carrying on until now, our church has gone through some of the most painful and confusing times in regard to the theology of Christ, our righteousness. For some people, and I dare say for the vast majority of the Seventh-day Adventist church, they don't even know that. And I've got to tell you honestly, as a Seventh-day Adventist minister, it's only in the last two years that the lights have turned on in my mind. And I'll explain that more as we go through through this week. This is a huge issue. It's far more important than we have all realized. And Christ is slowly leading us back where he wants us to be. Because he said through Ellen White, that his church needs to put on his robe of righteousness. But if, unless we understand it, we don't know what we're talking about. It becomes just a theory. Beginning about 1950 and carrying on until now, our church has gone... Th- didn't I just read that? Yeah, you uh, stopped. It where did I stop? It is critical that we review the history and the theology. This most important class of the week will take place on Thursday. We are working our way. We're going to be combining theology with history, but we're headed toward a direction. This is not the same of what we did last year. What we did last year was to speak about what God was doing in His church up until the 1900s. And we spoke about the significance of the latter reign and the work that Jesus was uh, doing through the Holy Spirit in the church. But we need to speak in this class First of all about the theology of Christ our righteousness again to have that solid foundation behind us. But then we need to talk about the progression and where Christ has been trying to lead us and some of the challenges that we've had along the way. The purpose of this is not to look for fault with anybody or any whatever Simply to find out where we as people need to be, where I need to be in my relationship with Jesus, what Jesus wants to do in my life. Not what I can do for myself, but what Jesus wants to do for me and for you and uh, what he wants for us in uh, to be ready for the return of Christ. So finally on Friday, we'll need to answer the question, what now and what difference does it make? Some may see this as the most important class of the week and I would not try to argue with that conclusion. I want to mention to you what our tools and our textbooks will be. First of all, primarily the Bible. Secondly, the spirit of prophecy. Both of these tools are vital to us. We must have the scripture's foundation. But I am so grateful for the spirit of prophecy. who is Ellen White is so clear as God identified for her what we needed to know. First of all, God's church had to study for themselves from the word of God. But once the word of God had been studied, Ellen White helped people to understand, God's people to understand the parts of the truth that needed clarity. And I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? What a difference it makes. It helps us to avoid great confusion. And it's for the very reason that we haven't followed that instruction. And in some quarters today, people moving farther away from Ellen White that we're bringing in even greater confusion, not greater clarity. And I'm so grateful for what Ellen White has to say. To assist us along this journey, especially with the angles of history, we'll consider the writings of four individuals, Arthur Daniels, In his Christ Our Righteousness, I think his book looks a little different than this. This is an older version of it. Um, You'll notice the titles are very similar to each other. Also, uh, E.J. Wagner's book, Christ and His Righteousness, is also a very helpful tool. Um, Steve Wahlberg has written a book, Christ Our Righteousness, and it looks like this very valuable tool as well. Uh, Elder, uh, Elder Wahlberg came and met with our ministers at our minister's retreat in January, uh, very blessed by what, uh, what he shared. And his title of his book is God's Last Message, No Fiction, Just Facts, Christ, Our Righteousness. A very good uh, book on t- in terms of that. And one that I really want to place an emphasis on as we get a little further in this because of the historical uh, reality that he brings to this issue is A Fork in the Road. By Herbert Douglas. Oh, how I wish this man was still alive today. I would really love to talk to him. I I had the opportunity somewhere along the line because he died not very long ago. And I could have if I had just been on the ball. It's my own fault, right? I would love to have talked to him. But at any rate... And read this book is a very valuable tool that we'll talk about more later. I don't want to get bogged down into some of the details. But the value of that particular book is that he was alive when the things he's talking about took place. And his uh, training... And his commitment to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, his training as a theologian, and his commitment to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the message of the Bible, and the spirit of prophecy give him a perspective that is almost second to none. And I just can't tell you enough about the importance of that particular book. We will come back to it along the way. I believe these books are available in the ABC. I warned them ahead of time, and so uh, I hope that you will take advantage of that if you don't already have those books yourself. Now I want to dig into the meat of what we need to talk about today with the time that we have left. First of all, Ellen White says this. Now this is the statement that often is quoted. We're going to look at it twice today. I'm going to share with you just reading through it to begin with. Then I want to share the Bible's teaching on this issue. And at the end, I want to come back to this statement because I think the significance of the statement will help us to understand where we are going forward in the next four days and how important what we do is going to be and why this foundation we're talking about today is so vital and critical to us. Here's what Ellen White says. It's page 91 of Testimonies to Ministers, the references at the end of the series of slides, there are about three or four of them there. This is what she says, The Lord in His great mercy sent a most precious message to His people through Elders Wagner, and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, The sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive, repeat with me, the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to his divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. All power is given into his hands, that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift, with me please, of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. We'll come back to this. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of His Spirit in a large measure. I'd like to take now and go to the Word of God, because that is the source of our truth, right? We want to look at the basics of Christ our righteousness. I'll tell you a short story and I don't want to get bogged down with this, but I had the opportunity to share basically this message. I didn't realize how closely, but basically this message up at Camp Segola um, a few weeks ago. In the meantime, I had some problems with my computer and it's a long story how it all happened. But the one thing that I lost or could not find in all of that was the presentation I did up at Campus Sable that I wanted to base, Sagola that I basically wanted to share here. I could not find it. It, I, it was nowhere to be found. On my backup, I couldn't find my backup. I couldn't find my hard drive with a backup on it. I couldn't find any of this at all. And I said, Lord, I really don't want to recreate this whole thing. And, you know, you can argue with the Lord if you want to, but he has ways of controlling you. And that is he takes hard drives you had backups on and all that, and you can't find them anywhere. And so I really wanted that to save a lot of time. I didn't get that. Sometimes the Lord needs to do that just to work through us and whatever. And so I said, all right, Lord, I've got to recreate this, and I'm going to do it all, and I can just trust you to to do that. The long story short part is I just found the hard drive. With it on there, today. <laughs> you know when I found it? When I finally, I looked everywhere. In my office, at home, here, I, whatever. I found it when I set that camera up. It happened to be in the same case with that. I pulled it out. I, I was able to finish this presentation yesterday. I pulled it out. I brought up the notes. I, I could not remember anything. I couldn't remember what I'd said what I'd done. I, I can't explain that, other than the fact I'm old. And and whatever. I went through the notes from what I presented back up there. With the exception of a couple of verses, it was almost identical. And I can only praise the Lord for that. I mean that seriously. I can only praise the Lord for that, which gave me confidence in what I want to share with you today. I want us to understand that the gospel message is simple. So I'm using that term today. It is simple, but as I said on this previous slide, we have made it complicated. It's not complicated, but we have made it complicated. The Word of God is clear, the Word of God is simple, but we human beings start to take this piece and that piece and sort it all out, and before long we have multiple denominations Christian denominations, and total confusion out there to say nothing of our own challenges within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So I want to go through this today. I'm going to do it first of all by simply outlining the simplicity of the gospel message uh, as as, as I understand it. Now listen, look, I'm not a theologian. I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I'm a student of the Word of God. I am also work in the conference office but I'm going to share with you what I have learned in my own simplicity, and, and I, wanted to try to, I want to try to make it clear. So I'm going to do it this way just to get our minds focused, but then I want to come back to the Word of God and see where we get that from. All right? So first of all, very simply, we're sinners condemned to die. We all right so far? No argument there, right? We're also told that as sinners... Uh, A sinner is one who has broken God's law. God's law is righteous. Sin is the opposite of righteousness because it breaks God's righteous law. You follow the logic so far? Everybody okay so far? Violation of God's law means death. That's the penalty for violating God's law. We will die unless we become righteous. You got that? Did I lose some of you on the way? We will die unless we are righteous, right? We cannot become righteous because sinners cannot become righteous. Okay, so far? There's no hope for us. Shall we stop or shall we keep going? No hope unless there is a source of righteousness outside of ourselves. God is righteous. Oh, we're headed the right direction. Somebody out there is righteous. God is righteous. Christ is God, therefore He is righteous. Christ came to this earth to live a righteous life and demonstrate that it could be done in this sinful world. He successfully demonstrated righteous living by overcoming sin as a human being. He died to pay the penalty for sin and earn the right to forgive us our sin, and to give us His righteousness. Are you with me still? There's a lot of theology in that paragraph that we must look at more in depth. He offers to give us His righteousness as a gift. We accept this gift by faith. We call it righteousness by faith. By faith, we accept His gift of by giving our lives to Him, allowing Him to have control over our lives. When He controls our lives, our sin is replaced with His righteousness. Amen. Still with me? Yeah. The righteousness is real righteousness, not just covered over sin, because Jesus is real, and He doesn't cover over sin whose righteousness not our righteousness Not not ours never ever ours this particular point is where we find a lot of confusion as we start talking about this people start thinking about whenever we start talking about this I can't do that. I, yeah, you got it. You, you, you said it right there. I can't do this. It doesn't seem possible. But we're not talking about us. We're talking about Christ. Can Christ do righteousness? Yes. Is Christ righteous? Yes. Is Christ our righteousness? Yes. That is the gospel. His righteousness prepares us to be ready when he comes to take us home. This is the message of Christ, our righteousness. Now, I've summarized it, but the question is, is it wishful thinking or is it biblical fact? So let's go to the Bible, the best place to be. I put the text up on the screen just because we're short on time. I would much rather be doing this as an open Bible study. I hope you will go back and you will do that and review this on your own as we go through it. I pray that the Spirit of God will help to illumine all our minds on this. So let's go back and start from the foundation of what we said in our earlier outline. First of all, we are sinners condemned to die. Paul makes this clear. He couldn't say it more clearly than he says it in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. I see some of you fanning yourselves, and I've got to tell you how happy I am for that. (laughs) I have been so cold... (laughs) That I'm glad to see the need for fans. But we may need to try to get one. Chuck, there may be one in the hallway out in front of my office. Or is there one right there? Yeah, see if there's another one out in the hallway by my office as well, Chuck. Please. Uh, I need to keep moving ahead. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So we are sinners and we are condemned to die. Simply put, that is our state what is a sinner according to 1 John 3 verse 4 a sinner is one who ever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness or as the king james version says transgression of the law we are breakers of the law of god that's what a sinner is according to 1st 1 Corinthians 1534 uh, Paul says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The contrast is righteousness is the opposite of sin, or sin is the opposite of righteousness. Now, since our last meeting together, I've learned a lot. I don't know how much of it will come out, but I've learned a lot. Just understanding what people think about sin is one of the things I've learned. And wow, we can get really confused on this topic. Um, and I really wish we had time to go through that. We'll get into it a little bit as we progress through the week. In Hebrews 1 verse nine, speaking of Christ, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Paul speaks of Christ, and he says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. So, uh, continuing on Hebrews 1, verse 9, we said, This was a picture of Christ. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And we just want to get that picture of Christ and then A.G. Daniels made this comment in his book, sin is the opposite of righteousness. All right? If you don't mind, oh, you're doing it over on this side. That's fine. Okay, I get you. You already got the other one in. The law is righteous, holy, just, and good, according to Romans seven twelve. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. The law is righteous. The problem is not with the law. The problem is that the law can't save us. If sin is breaking the law and the law is righteous, then we need to be righteous. If we are to solve the problem of sin, the problem is we are not righteous. The problem is solved by God providing us with His gift, right? According to Romans 6.23, He first tells us that we are condemned to death. That is the wages of sin. But then He gives us the hope and He says, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, I mean, John says in uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The source is Christ. The source is God. God has given us a gift. How do we access this gift? We access it by coming to Christ. The gift of His Son brings forgiveness for sin. That's why John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We read that verse and we translate that as being He is going to simply cross off the fact that we are sinners. But you read that verse carefully in the light of the scriptures and you see something more. He says that he's going to do what? Sorry about the typo there. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Christ is God's gift to us. Christ is righteous. Are you with me? In Jeremiah 23 verse 6, Jeremiah says, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which we will be called the Lord our righteousness. Christ is the source of righteousness. In Daniel 9 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, which is Christ. 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 Romans 3, 24 to 26, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The title is Christ, Our Righteousness. It's never our righteousness. It's Christ, our righteousness. Christ is God's gift to us. Christ is righteous. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and if I can repeat it, who became for us wisdom, who became for us righteousness, who became for us sanctification, who became for us redemption. That's Christ, our righteousness. When we are given Christ, his righteousness is part of the gift. Are you still with me? According to Romans 5, 17, For if the one by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of... Righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Again, this is Jesus' righteousness. But He gives the gift to you and me. We receive the gift of righteousness by how? In Romans three twenty one and 22, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. In Philippians 3, 9, Paul says, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith, In Christ, the righteousness which is from God, what? By faith. faith. When you begin to look at Paul's reasoning, it becomes clear. Paul's reasoning is straightforward. He understands the contrast between law and those who are trying to earn their way to heaven and Christ, who is the source of righteousness not only just simply to forgive sins, but also to change life. You and I must catch this piece, because it is clearly the foundation of the Scripture. We receive the gift of righteousness by faith, according to Paul in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the power of of the gospel of Christ, I'm sorry, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Power, folks, not just covering, not just pretending, it's real power. Why would God be giving us power if we didn't need power? We need power to live. Christ is willing to give us power because we work against the powers and principalities of this world. They have power. Why should we not have power? Well, we don't have power, do we? But Christ does. And this is the power he wants to give to us. This is what Paul is saying. He says, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and then the Greek, for for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're talking about real living. There's an important example in Paul's writings found in Romans chapter 4. It is the example of Abraham. You find some of it right here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found something to boast about and not before God? For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 13... Paul adds, not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's always faith. It's always Christ. It's always his righteousness. It's never our righteousness, but it's real righteousness. In Romans 8, verse 4, we are reminded that we receive the gift of righteousness by faith. And Paul says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not uh, walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That doesn't sound to me like just simply saying, it's okay, you're forgiven, go ahead and do whatever you want. It doesn't say that, does it? It's it's talking about real living. It's talking about walking according not to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Again, it's never us, but it's always the spirit of God who is working in us. But it's real living. It's real walking. It's not pretend. It's not covered over sin, just made to look like righteousness. Romans 8, verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ. Christ's righteousness. So now I want to kind of start to pull this together. That's the biblical foundation. I want to share a few thoughts for you with you. First of all, Just a thought from A.G. Daniels. He says, this statement settles forever the way by which Abraham obtained God's righteousness. It was not by works. It was by faith. Of course, the Jews kind of struggled with that. And they were having a hard time with that. And sometimes we get confused as well. Ellen White in Review and Herald of uh, November 4, 1890 said, by faith... He, that is the sinner who has so grievously wronged and offended God, he can bring to God the merits of Christ. And the Lord places the obedience of his Son to the sinner's account. Christ's righteousness is accepted in place of man's failure. Christ is presented in place of us. Hallelujah. If I go there myself, I'm done. Okay? But you can read the statement and come away with the wrong conclusion if you don't continue the journey. A.G. Daniels made this statement. And this is not divinely inspired, but it just is able to synthesize a thought. I want you to see it. Righteousness by faith is not a theory. People may hold a theory about it and at the same time be ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. It is a submitting unto the righteousness of God. It is a change of standing before God and his law. It is a regeneration and a new birth. There's a reason why Christ told Nicodemus about a new birth. He didn't just tell him, look, I've got a document that will get you through the gates. He said, I'm going to change your life. That's what he said. You're going to start over again. You're going to be a new person. Paul says that again and again and again. And he's not kidding. Look at Paul. He was a new person. It is submitting unto the righteousness of God. It is a change of standing before God in His law. It is regeneration a new birth. Without this change, there can be no hope for the sinner, for he will remain under the condemnation of God, uh, of God's changeless holy law. Its terrible penalty will hang, still hang over his head. Ellen White says this. This name is hallowed, speaking of the, the uh, Lord's Prayer, and says this name, hallowed be thy name, This name uh, is hallowed by the angels of heaven, by the inhabitants of unfallen worlds. When you pray, hallowed be thy name, you ask that it may be hallowed in this world, hallowed in you. God has acknowledged you before men and angels as his child. Pray that you may do no dishonor to the worthy name by which ye are called. God sends you into the world as His representative. In every act of life, you are to make manifest the name of God. This petition calls upon you to possess His character. When you and I are praying that prayer that so many people simply rotely recite, he says, she says it's a prayer asking for God's hallowed character to become our character. Amen. Amazing. You cannot hallow his name. You cannot represent him to the world unless you, unless in life and character, in life and character, you represent the very life and character of God. This you can do only through the acceptance of the grace and righteousness of Christ. Are you with me? His righteousness is symbolized by a robe or a garment. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul. By the way, I have added a few, a uh, couple texts in here, and the ones from Romans 8 were ones I added in at the last minute. So if you don't find them in your notes, it's not because there was a mistake, it's because of the fact that I added them in later. Those of you who are getting it later, you will have it in your notes. <laughs> in Isaiah 61, verse 10, yeah, it's, sometimes it pays to be late, huh? No. I will uh, greatly, uh, Isaiah says, rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. When we accept the robe of Christ's righteousness, he not only forgives our sin, but he also removes our sin. According to Zechariah in chapter 3, Zechariah said this, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel, um, And then, uh, is that the end of it? No, that's more. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed what? your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with the rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. The language here is of real action in our lives, of what God is seeking to do for us. The Laodicean church is preparing for Christ's return by putting on the robe of Christ, our righteousness. In Revelation 3, 18 and 19, I counsel you to bribe for me gold refined in the fire. You may be rich in the white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. He Uh, John says at the end, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. Only the righteous can enter the city because they are doing the law of God. Only the righteous are ready to enter the city when Christ returns. So here are some thoughts. Gospel workers. Page 156, and I'm kind of standing in your folks' way, and I apologize for that. try to back up here. Of all professing Christians, Seventh-day Adventists should be foremost in uplifting Christ before the world. The proclamation of the third angel's message calls for the presentation of the Sabbath truth. This truth, with others included in the message, is to be proclaimed, but the great center of attraction, Christ Jesus, must not be left out. We Talked about this some last time, last year. It is at the cross of Christ that the mercy and truth, that mercy and truth, meet together, and righteousness and peace kiss each other. The sinner must look to Calvary, led to look to Calvary, with the simple faith of a little child. He must trust in the merits of the Savior, accepting His righteousness, believing in His mercy. She also says the end is near. We have not a moment to lose. Light is to shine forth from God's people in clear, distinct rays, bringing Jesus before the churches and before the world. Our work is not to be restricted to those who already know the truth. Our field is the world. The instrumentalities to be used are those souls who gladly receive the light of truth which God communicates to them. These are God's agencies for communicating the knowledge of truth to the world. If, through the grace of Christ, His people will become new bottles... He will fill them with new wine. God will give additional light, and old truths will be recovered and replaced in the framework of truth. Wherever the laborers go, they will triumph as Christ's ambassadors. They are searched the Scriptures to seek for the truths that have been hidden beneath the rubbish of error, and every ray of light received is to be communicated to others. One interest will prevail. One interest will prevail one subject will swallow up every other christ our righteousness Amen. in mount of blessing she said righteousness is holiness likeness to god and god is love it is conformity to the law of god for all thy commandments are righteousness and the law lo- and love is the fulfilling of the law Righteousness is love, and love is the light and life of God. The righteousness of God is embodied in Christ. We receive righteousness by receiving Him. I couldn't make this up. You couldn't make this up. It can only come from the word of God. It can only come from the spirit of prophecy. Both of them are abundantly clear. I wouldn't believe it if it didn't come from the Bible. I wouldn't believe it if it didn't come from the spirit of prophecy. But clearly it does. In Mind Character and Personality, Volume 2, By beholding the character of Christ you will become changed into his likeness. The grace of Christ alone can change your heart, and then you will reflect the image of the Lord Jesus. God calls upon us to be like Him, pure, holy, and undefiled. We are to bear the divine image. I hope you're going to give me an extra five minutes for all the running around that we had to do earlier. In volume uh, one of Selected Messages, by beholding, we are to become changed. And as we meditate upon the perfections of the divine model, we shall desire to become wholly transformed and renewed in the image of His purity. Wholly transformed does not sound like covered over with a piece of paper. No. It sounds like you're transformed. Do I understand that? Only by the Spirit of God and the Word of God renewed in the image of His purity. It is by faith. In the Son of God, that transformation takes place in the character, and the child of wrath becomes the child of God. He passes from death into life. He becomes spiritual and discerns spiritual things. The wisdom of God enlightens his mind, and he beholds wondrous things out of his law. As a man is converted by the truth, the work of transformation of character goes on. He has an increased measure of understanding. In becoming a man of obedience to God, he has the mind of Christ and the will of God becomes his will. <laughs> All right. I said I'd come back to this. To wind up, I want to look at this message carefully in the last few moments. This passage from volume, I mean testimonies to ministers. The Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through Elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. Who's the surety? Jesus, Jesus is the surety. It invited pe- the people to receive the righteousness of Christ. I want you to read that again with me, please. Out loud, together. What does she say? It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ. Was she just pretending? Stop for a minute. Was she just pretending? No. she talking about the real deal? All right, let's keep going. Which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. You can pause for a moment. I'll read the rest here for a moment. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to His divine person, His merits, His changeless love for the human family. All power is given into His hands that He may dispense rich gifts unto men. Remember the gifts that Paul spoke of? including the gift of righteousness, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. It's amazing. Absolutely astounding that God would entrust us, first of all, with such a gift. But he doesn't entrust it to us. We simply accept it by faith. And then he says, as you allow Christ to come into your life and you allow Christ to control your life, When Christ is the surety. When Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, look unto the author and the finisher of your faith. He's talking about Jesus, what Jesus is able to do for us. When Paul speaks of the power of the gospel to change the life, he's talking about real power, real honest to goodness, power, to change the human heart. I don't understand it. I can only accept it by faith. You and I can only accept it by faith. With this foundation, as we proceed through this week, we need to answer some questions What did our early pioneers believe about the message of Christ our righteousness? What did they teach? We talked about this last year, but it's important in the progression for us to review that. And if you're like me, I forget what I did yesterday, let alone a year ago. What was Ellen White's understanding in a more in-depth look? The answers will set the stage for the rest of this week's study. Tomorrow we'll look at what the pioneers taught so that that can be clear to us. I have, in my own journey, speaking for me, not for anybody else, there are some people way ahead of me on this. I'm playing catch-up. But you know what? I've got to play catch-up because it's the source of truth. You and I need to understand it. And tomorrow we will continue that journey along the way to see what God has done and what God is going to continue to do but it will have no benefit to us if we don't understand that it's a real Jesus Christ really coming into our lives and bringing His righteousness in a very real way to us by faith in Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the message of the Word of God. We confess to you as failing human agents. We don't understand this. It just doesn't make sense in humanity. But only by faith do we accept it as presented by the Word of God. Thank you, dear Lord, for the promises of the Word of God that make this all possible. May it give us hope and help. May we find in it the transformation that you desire to be an honor and a glory to you. As we leave here tonight, we go humble, but we realize also that we go in the strength of the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,